Welcome back to World's Most Wanted, a podcast looking at Ireland as we head into the World Cup as world number one and have to try and win this thing for the first time ever and realistically go beyond a quarterfinal for the first time ever. I'm joined on this episode by Owen Harrison, the over-the-hill prop from Professor Dead of Mind. You might know this guy. A familiar voice, Tom. A familiar, a familiar voice. voice, hopefully. <laughs> um, we were just talking before I clicked record on this Zoom call um, about... Basically, I suppose the main thrust of it was Ireland are heading into this World Cup. We have two more warm-up games to play, Romania and Tonga, before we go into the game that will define this pool against the Springboks. After those warm-up games that we've seen, what are your main takes on Ireland at the moment with regards to where are we strong right now? Well, I think what the to me what the warm-ups have shown is that Ireland are very, very strong when they have their frontliners out. And they're they're all it's almost a repetition or a replica of what Leinster do. Leinster are very, very good when and particularly with their frontliners out, they're top class team, one of the best in Europe. But even during the URC games, they need a sprinkling of key players in there to supplement it. And I think at international level, that's sort of um, extrapolated even further that you do need your frontline players playing there. And I think what the warm-up games have shown us is number one, that the squad was picked about six to 12 months ago in the majority of cases, apart from injury and whatever else. But it also shows that the 23 is pretty much encased I think there there's certain players there that may feature within the the sort of the the Romanian Tonga games, but you still have to have the right players in there. And if we look back at the Samoa game that just happened, it wasn't until you brought on some of those guys, you brought on the likes of Herring, even to bring it in to solidify the line out. You brought on Peter O'Mani, you bring on James Ryan. Once you got those guys on then it started to settle down. And I think for for Ireland, unless you have, and this is the buzzword, I think, within the TRK community, cohesion. Cohesion, yes. <laughs> um, it's so important to this Irish team um, to the point that when they don't have it, I think they look bang average. <laughs> like, I had written before this game that, against Samoa, that... Ireland should be beating Samoa every day of the week. Realistically. That game was far closer than what I expected. And yes, look, there were a few X factors that you have to consider. Um, I think the team selection 
Although I think most of the players, I think 19 of the players would have known for sure they were traveling by injury. Um, I think the lineout, which has been a bit of an issue over the course of these last couple of warm-up games in general, was a, a big factor, especially with the weather. Um, but I, I think for me, it's just with this Irish team, unless it is that prime Ireland team that everybody can name off by heart. Everybody, when you think about prime Ireland, you know the starting 1-15, to 15, you know who's on the bench. If there's a deviation from that, things can get very unpredictable, which if you think about it, was exactly where we were in 2019. <laughs> Not that that's going to happen. I think we're a better team. I think we're more durable this year than what we were back then. But that's the big concern for me is that when we have had those blended teams, things have looked iffy against Italy and against Samoa, against England. Look, England are a rabble, but Ireland put them away. And that starting Irish team is very close to what would play the Springboks, I think, close enough to it, with maybe Sexton and a few others. Um, but yeah, th- that in itself is a strength, I think, because we know that team can do the job. But it's, can we get that team to the game? I, I think that's that's a big one. I think the the other one then is even just the form of Ireland coming in. It's the habit of winning and going through that. I think that's that's a, a big very, thing, yeah. very big big positive. Like there are times that that Samoa game could have got away from them. You know, if they, you know, even towards the end, and it took you know, it it took a ballsy call to go up and you know uh, compete. Basically, for the ball. A, a penalty that wasn't called really by. And- <laughs> But yeah, yeah, to right. be fair, to be fair, Samoa had been getting away with that most they of the were, night yeah, as well. Fair, you know, yeah, so yeah. you know, I think they were fairly safe and assuming I'll just go and grab this guy's you know hand. What, what if I play what, what if I just play the hand? Yeah. <laughs> then he can't catch it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, but like that, that, that winning that, is a big habit. Oh, it is. It does become they work their way through that game. As in basically, if you're a team who's struggling, you find a way to lose that game. But Ireland are a team who've been a lot of momentum this year and they're finding a way to win these games. And that was a really good test against Samo, I think. I think Andy Farrell would be very, very happy with that. But like coming in now, if you're Andy Farrell coming into this World Cup, knowing that you're the most analysed team on the planet, and the most analysable, I would say, um, do you go full bore against Romania and Tonga to build up momentum for that game against the Springboks, knowing you have two weeks off after? Um, I think what I would be looking to do if I was in Farrell's shoes, I don't know what he's going to do, but if I was in Farrell's shoes, what I would do is I would run pretty much or close to a first team against Romania to start with. So to me, that's getting, you need to look at the guys who are coming back from injury or a little bit doubtful or suspension. So you want to get your likes of Sheehan, Kelleher, Kilcoyne, these, these sort of guys, you want to get them in, you want to get them there playing, showing that they're okay, and get some minutes into them. Get them 50, 60 minutes against Romania, switch them around, get it off. That should be, a, that's a training match, right? That's in all honesty. 70 or 80 nil. Yeah. And shouldn't even be, shouldn't even be like as in, Ireland should be out of sight in, inside the first 20 minutes. Exactly. I think the, the current line, I think they're talking about is 60 points. And I, 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 I think it'd be, be a lot higher than I think it'd be, it'd be more if Ireland had yeah. different running. Then I think what you do is you can you can then sort of get a feeler for Tonga 
you'll see what Tonga do in their first match, how physical they are, whether you need to mind players, whether you need to get more minutes into the legs and how you mix and match the team for that and get the preparation right for the for the the Springboks game. Because look, that that's the big one. Big I one. think uh, um, for me... How do you handle Sexton uh, in these two games? Him, I think you give him the minutes to start against Romania and get those into his legs and then you decide whether you put him on the bench, whether you start him even against Tongi, do you risk him against, uh, you know, a couple of big hits flying in against Tonga? And the thing is, the thing is with Tonga, like, I think Romania, I don't even think that they'll be capable of putting hands on a lot of our key, a lot of our key guys physically. Tonga are a different story. No, I expect Ireland to be Tonga 30, 40 points in the end. But physically, they could make things very difficult, at least for a time, especially when you're mm. dealing with Johnny Sexton. You're like, we, you know, he's not a baby, but you do have to mind him. You know, like he's 38, a big shot in any of these games. That's, that could be his World Cup, you know, because we've seen That's him be out, be out with a dead leg after the Springboks game last year for how long? For, he was out for, what, two months? Yeah, it was something around two months. I look, I I think no matter what happens, Johnny Sexton is going to be brought out on against the Springboks, whether it's in a wheelchair with you know a ventilator on a battery pack or something. He, he's going out. Yeah, <laughs> he, he's coming out with number ten on his back for the start of that game. So it's just you try and work with him and figure out after the Romania game what does he want, what does he need in terms of minutes. But I suppose I think, when you're when you're looking as well at, at like at, at Kelleher, like I suppose one of the strengths with this Ireland team is that we know what they're capable of doing at full whack. They blow teams out of the water. Like you look at that. I mean, again, I think I know Leinster aren't Ireland. You know, I think that there's a lot of differences there. Like, well, enough for it to be meaningful. But you look at that opening twenty minutes against La Rochelle. That's a perfect illustration as to what Leinster and Ireland can do if they get at you. And like, I not, not that I see that happening to any one of the big teams in the World Cup now, and bear in mind, it, it, anything's possible, but if there were enough guys who are hurt or who are not at full whack, like I've been quite disappointed with Josh van der Fleer, the last two warm-up games. I understand they're warm-up games, but he, he is not coming into this tournament at full whack. We're kind of hoping that he comes in at full whack. Caelan Doris has been very good, I think. Um, Peter Manny has been very effective as well James Ryan I think actually has really turned a corner this year but in the last two games I've seen him he's been incredibly efficient at the breakdown I really I, I love that in, in, in a second row he's added that to his game if Dan Sheehan and Rona Kelleher I don't think we'll see Dan Sheehan before the South Africa game is it possible that you know we're kind of hold in a certain extent where there are key guys who are coming in hurt, especially with the scrum, you know, behind, you know, behind Porter with Sheehan and Kelleher issues with their fitness. Is that enough to take this Irish team out of balance, especially if there are a few issues elsewhere? I, I think it is because you look at, you look at, you look at the way the squad has been picked. I think, um, Ryan Baird has been looked at as purely a six. Now he's he's not a second row anymore. I think you you look at Conan hasn't played for how long now? The risk as well. Yeah, uh, they've only they've only really gone with the I w- I would call it four back rows plus Baird. Mm-hmm. So and that's the four back rows that he always uses. 
So that, that, know, was, a, that was a key decision with Prendergast. That was a big. I I there. thought he would go with Prendergast. I honestly I did, did. and I, like I understand the the logic behind what he's trying to do, but I think that was a big call because now a single knock and you're 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 pretty much having to use those three or four players the whole time, or drag someone like you know Ty Burn, um, into a, a sort of a maybe a Tonga or Romania game that you hadn't planned on. So I think getting the likes of Conan Kelleher, Sheehan Kilcoyne, getting the Sexton. Getting minutes into those guys, the first yeah, game yeah, or two, they have without to play against Romania. Yeah, they I think to. they do. I think they do to get there. I think they need they need that. They need the minutes in their legs. I think, but also from that cohesion point of view that you're talking about, because if they don't get that and they don't get up to speed, then you're sort of wondering, okay, can I trust it fully? Can I trust that guy? Is he going to be good enough to get 60, 70 minutes out of it? And the other one is like, you know, how much time do you give to, uh, to Porter? Because you know you know you don't necessarily have the depth that you thought you had now with Healy gone. Like for example Do you trust do you trust the other two? If for example, like we'll say they want to play Porter against Tonga. They want to get him run up to that Springboks game where I if that game's close, I see him playing 70, 75 minutes. Mm. If that turns into a wet day against Tonga, where you're going to have a lot of scrums. Straight away, that's a high-risk scenario there because we saw Keen Healy. He got injured just doing his job. Um, on, a, on a scrummage, came in, calf went. If that happens for, for Porter, like I think Ireland's most important players, like outside of Sexton, although I don't buy this idea that Ireland are 15 to 20% better with Sexton playing. I don't, I don't buy this. I think Ireland's most important players are Andrew Porter and James Ryan in that order. And if those guys aren't playing or if they get hurt, Ireland's system, such as it is in the forwards, is hold below the waterline. And there's such a huge risk in playing them, but we need to play them to keep the levels of cohesion and flow going that we know this team can reach. I, I'd agree with that. I would put the other player that I don't think they can do without is Caelan Doris. I would agree, but I, I think that Ryan gives them that bit more Doris is hugely important, but he'd be number three. I, yeah, like I, I would have Doris in there purely because when you play with the team that I think Farrell goes with, and we all sort of know that team, you don't have anyone else who can perform that heavy carrier role other than Doris in that back row. And if, if Doris doesn't play in that back row, you have guys like Conan, Omani, Van der Fleer, even Baird, they can't perform that role. They're all sort of doing it midfield or far touchline. You know, they just they just can't get into that. And the thing is, you have to alter your second row pairing yeah. to bring it in. And like when you look at Doris, I think he's the ultimate utility wrench player. There's a reason why he's played in that six role, seven role, eight role for Ireland because his his job doesn't change. Sometimes what he does. There'll be a little bit more emphasis on one or the other, depending on what jersey he's wearing. But like, if you said to Caelan Doris, we need you, we need you to carry fifteen plus times in a game. I genuinely don't think he'd look like the same level of player. What Caelan Doris does is everything. He will jump in the lineup for you. He can do it at the front. He can do it in the middle. He can go at the tail. If you want to have him running it, crashing in midfield, he can do that too. If you want to have him as a defensive lineup guy. 
He can defend off the lineout. He can defend in the lineout. His defensive breakdown rivals, best in Europe. He's, he wins a huge amount of breakdown turnovers. Offensively, he will carry for you, and he's good when he manages his energy there. But he's a good passer, and he's a really good breakdown guy. So he does everything for Ireland. Depending on the jersey number, he will sometimes do a little bit more of one or the other. But if they lose him, he takes away a lot of their offensive breakdown coverage. That brings guys like Jack Conan into a role that I don't think they're good at. And it puts a lot of pressure on Peter Romani. And I have a theory that Peter Romani is the canary in the Irish cold mine. That when Peter Romani's breakdown numbers are high, Ireland are playing very well. When they're low, Ireland are playing poorly or off scheme. And like people often mistake this, oh, Peter Romani, oh, he's not doing anything. Peter Romani is a very specific role in this team. This team is all about rules. It's all about system. He's your lineup guy, both sides of the ball. That's obvious. But during phase play, Peter Romani exists in the edge spaces. Ireland's system works on bouncing from one side of the pitch to the other, stretching the opposition. If Peter Romani is not getting his breakdown numbers in the wide areas, and if he's not getting those numbers from close in, where he's really good inside 22, that means Ireland aren't hitting their spots which means that we're not playing on system, which means that we're not playing well. And I think Caelan Doris is a key part of that because he will carry for you in the middle of the field, but he can also win rocks there. And he's a really good passer of the ball. He gives you line up both sides of the ball. Like that's, I think, the most important thing when it comes to Caelan Doris is that if he's not there, and this is why I thought they would bring Kian Prendergast because Kian Prendergast gives you a lot of the same role set, but also... Yeah. Caelan Doris is incredibly mobile and has a huge engine, so he can cover all the kicking that Ireland do. Caelan Doris can cover that up and down the field, up and down the field. And I think that goes to explain why Gavin Coombs isn't in the team, by the way, is that there's no natural role for him in this team. No, this role doesn't require a sort of a, a big heavy set carrier who is going to give you 20 plus carries in, into contact, into big set defense, create go forward off it. It's it's not there. It's more the mobility, which is why, as you say, Keen Prendergast is very much a, a sort of a, a backup model for Vander for um Doris. The one thing I would say about Doris, the one the one thing that I thought was very impressive, I can't remember which game it was now, where he took over Vander Fleer's role. England. And he he did it now it was oh, it was only Italy. for a short time Italy. Italy. Yeah, where he only did it for a short time because of injury, um, wasn't it? Um, yeah, Conan had to go off. Conan, Conan had to go off, and he did it. But he did absolutely everything that Van der Fleer did, including the sort of you know the passing off the line out being the sort of the plus one in those line out options, and that to me was a very specific thing, which is why I thought they would bring um, Prendergast with them. That would allow sort of um, Doris to move into that role. But I think there's, with that sort of, as you say, Omani is so, so vital to what Ireland do. He His his ability at the ruck and to secure ruck ball, attacking ruck ball. Unbelievably with, good. It, the technique involved and his ability to replicate that time and time again as sort of, you know, part of a one or max two man sort of ruck 
and secure that out in the wide areas gives Ireland the platform that they need, as you said, to bounce from one side of the pitch to the other. And if, that, that's why if they're not, and, and, and this is why I think that Gavin Coombs actually maps better as an Irish second row than what he does as a back row. But Munster play quite a bit differently from Ireland at the moment. Um, that I think with James Ryan, he gives you a bit of everything at the moment as well. And I love, my, my big criticism of him during the Six Nations was the accuracy of his breakdown, where he was flying in all over the place. He wasn't cleaning the men. He did really well in both games against England and Samoa. Um, but I suppose we're looking now at you know, we're the world's most wanted team, the most analysed and analysable team in the game in that if you analyse Leinster, you're also analysing Ireland in a lot of ways. Coming into this World Cup, what do you feel are the areas where Ireland can be got at if you're an opposition coach? What are your thoughts on Ireland, especially if you're Springboks or, or Scotland who will be playing them very soon? I th- I think there's, to me, there's three key areas and I would say that the three key areas are also areas that Ireland have to manage the referee at. It's the same three things. The first one is the line out, right? Because to me, you need Ireland survive on clean line out ball. It's their platform. It's their biggest platform for playing off. It's a big thing. We saw it against Samoa when uh, Stewart had his issues with it. The referee allowed a contest in the air, allowed contact in the air and it cut out a lot of the platform that Ireland need to play off and so Ireland are looking for a clean interestingly and we were talking about it just before we hit record on this the Springboks against New Zealand game from Twickenham the amount of times that the Springboks put up counter jumpers and disrupted the New Zealand ball was immense and And they, they were doing it with both their sort of starting locks and with their sort of replacements. They have they have so much size and like athletic counter jumpers that it just it's, it's a formidable challenge. Like we were speaking as well about like Ireland as a counter transition team who kick to get the ball back. But as a B side, if you decide to kick it off the field, Ireland love lineouts. Ireland hit lineouts so hard. So many like Ireland maul more than any other team in Europe or any other team in the world actually this year. Like, which you wouldn't think, like, and mall faints are included in that as well. Um, so if you take that platform away from Ireland, like La Rochelle did it by just not giving Ireland lineouts or Leinster lineouts. Um, if the Springboks they want to get the ball off the field, if they are successful in bringing Ireland's completion rate in the lineout to, we'll say, below eighty percent, that's a big worry with this team. Yeah, I think you. Not even necessarily bringing it less than 80%, but giving them less lineouts. That's the thing. And I, I, that comes with a cost for the Springboks, who I think. I think they'll be reluctant. I, it does. It does. And I would have said so maybe six to 12 months ago. I would have said, yeah, that would have been a big thing. But I think there's a change. And I don't know how big have, of a change it they is have changed their within approach. the Brocks. Mm. Because to me, it was like you had Pollard and Pollard was your game manager. And he, he would stay there at 10 and he would kick and he would manage the game for them. And then you brought Willie LaRue in from 15 and he was the playmaker. I think now that they've gone with Libok, they're becoming more of a, a slightly more of an on-ball team. Yeah, now, it we, remains to be seen how much if, of that they are. If that translates into the World Cup, that'll be a thing. Yes. But like just from a raw perspective, um, South Africa are kicking middle of the pack. Like the teams who kick most in the world at the moment this year 
England, number one, France, number two, Ireland, number three. And all those top three teams kick like very long. Like the distance in those kicks on average is very, is very high. The Springboks kick are kicking way less. They're kicking on average around 25 times per game. Ireland, for example, are kicking 28, 29 times per game. Um, but the Springboks are kicking shorter. So they will still kick those shorter contestables because, again, they don't want their pack running 50, 60 metres up the field. So I think what they've done is as a sort of as a bit of an Ireland killer because there's so many teams have so many ideas as to how you can beat Ireland. I think that what the Springboks are going to look to try to do and what they've been trying to build is that when Ireland kick to the Springboks, and we will, that instead of them kicking back by default after one or two phases, which used to be the Springbok way, they will now hang on to that ball for five, six, seven phases, even if they're playing in their own half of the field, and then kick off 10 and kick it short and contestable to make it very, very difficult for Ireland to reset off that ball. And if they can do that successfully, that's a, that's a yeah. problem. And that's the tactic that Samoa used mm-hmm. in in the game, where they, as as we again we were talked about, they kicked a lot off ten, so they they took the ball away, they they put pods, they had forwards in the wider channels waiting for that, even offset pieces off lineouts. They were had they had forwards in the wide, they targeted the likes of Stockdale in particular in that game, and uh, in the backfield there, and exposed them at at times in terrible conditions but he was exposed under the high ball and I think um, I would say too box could they, they, and to, to follow up on your point there I went back and I looked at these um, on the set piece they did have those edge chasers that they were looking to hit um, basically so that you would have the likes of Fritz Lee or um, one of the other players names escapes me now and um, that they were basically trucking on you in that wider channel and looking to try and get a mismatch between Hugo Keenan, well, no, not Hugo, it would be Hugo Keenan for the Springboks, but Jimmy O'Brien, for example, if he's coming down out of the air on a kick receipt, that he gets fucking smashed. And like, that's, that force a spill on one of those occasions. But it was most effective, I think, or will, would be most effective on multi-phase. When they did it on first phase or second phase off the lineout, they did it a few times. They didn't get the look they wanted because they didn't drag Jacob Stockdale or for the spring box, it would be James Lowe. They didn't drag him up to the primary line. He was still in the secondary line just behind the primary line, which means that it was easier for him to dip back and screen if he needed to or take the ball if he needed to as well. What they exposed, and I think the spring box would have seen this, is that when they went through five or six phases off the line out or five or six phases off the scrum, that when they kicked off 10, then angled into the corner and always, always at Ireland's left wing, not at the right wing, always at the left. When they did that, it basically meant that the gap between Jimmy O'Brien and Jacob Stockdale, so for the main Ireland team, Hugo Keenan and James Lowe, was wider. So there was more ground for Hugo Keenan to cover. Ireland couldn't screen or escort the chasers. All of a sudden, they became a live challenge in the air. And I think that's going to be the really interesting thing if the Springboks can look at that area of Ireland's game. Like, if you're if you're Razzy Erasmus or Jacques Nienabar, like, how are you approaching that game? Um, I say I'm if I'm Jacques Nienabar, I'm looking at that. I'm going get the ball off the field. 
right? Make sure that the, we keep the the ball and play time as low as possible, right? Make sure that we have big forwards coming on. You have your bomb squad coming on. I think you can test at the line out. Have to, I think. I, yeah. I think I think you have to go after the line out. I think you also go after the scrum. And when I say you go after the scrum, Ireland have this thing where, as I've explained for what eighteen months now or more, longer. For, for longer I've been I've been boring yourself and Jeff with this about Andrew Porter at the angle that is a coping mechanism that like when I first saw that I thought that was a technique issue or whatever it was that's a coping mechanism for Porter and for Ireland which is you go in you you get the ball to the back of the scrum as quickly as you can you get the ball in you go sideways onto it and if the ball goes down you hope that the ref shouts use it yeah right and you, you take it away from the scrum. It's basically Mick Doyle from the 1980s with Ireland, which is the scrum is a restart method. Just get it in and out as quick as you can, right? That's all it is. I think if I'm if I'm the Springboks, I go, you double down. You, you get a free kick, you get a penalty, scrum again. Scrum, scrum again. And like, the thing is with, with the Springboks, I think the point is to generate scrummaging. So basically, to ensure that you have seven, eight, nine scrums in the game on whoever's put in, whoever's put in doesn't matter. Um, to, to look to try to expose it. Like, one, from an Irish perspective, we're, we don't know what Dan Sheehan or Ronan Kelleher's actual fitness levels are. Like Dan Sheehan is a mystery at the moment. We don't know what his status is. Ronan Kelleher supposedly could have started against Samoa, but for some reason didn't. Um, Again, if that gets down to a scrummaging battle, I mean, I know we say the scrum doesn't matter, but if you're doing eight or nine scrums in a game or more, 10, 11, all of a sudden the scrum can matter quite a bit because if the Springboks can pin you down there and get it into an actual scrummaging contest, things get very, very messy for Ireland. Well, not, not just... Um... Not just that in terms of you can win scrum penalties and you can get whatever, or sorry, not just that you ground them with the with the scrum. If you win a scrum penalty, you get the kick, you get the entry, you get the throw in, right? That's one thing. But I think the second thing that's maybe not necessarily thought of too much, if you make it a scrum competition and even through resets and doubling down on it, exhausting. you take away, it's exhausting. You take away from what Porter can do in the loose and the likes of Dan Sheehan. Because if they're putting all their focus now into scrummaging and keeping the power there, that's going to that's gonna take away from their effectiveness in the loose, particularly with someone like Porter, who, as we said, is likely to play 70-plus minutes of this like, game. Looking at Ireland scrum, like Ireland go forward very little. In the scrum, they go backwards very little. They stay static almost as much as any team in, in, in the world. Now, we do concede more penalties at the scrum relative out of the penalties that we do concede we do concede a higher percentage of them in the scrum than other nations but i think if you're if you're a spring box and again they've been analyzing ireland and leinster even having more scrums full stop it cheeses the clock and like if you look at the way that that ireland attack like ireland don't want scrums in and around their 10 meter line or around the 22 like they don't want that especially if it's no. if it's a wet day against the Springboks, which again is eminently possible, that then becomes like a, 
I, like, and, and, to be, and to be clear, I think anybody listening to this, like, I think Ireland can 100% beat the Springboks. I don't think the Springboks are unbeatable by any stretch of the imagination. But looking at Ireland over the last year, my worry is that we are so well scouted that the, the things the Springboks will have identified that they can exploit or they feel they can exploit are the ones that are the most dangerous to this team. The other one that I think and particularly comes down to the referee, and this is one that we've seen, this has been Leinster's kryptonite, is the breakdown. Yeah. If you find a referee that will let both sides away with a messy breakdown and it becomes the Wild West, Ireland can't cope. Do you know what sticks in my head when I think about what would be a nightmare for Ireland against the Springboks? The first Munster Sharks game in Durban in the European Champions Cup, where they counterrocked the living fuck out of us, and we had nothing for them. Where we had to stay in that extra second, two second worth of work in at the breakdown, and that caused such a pile up in our game that they basically were throwing numbers in and like obviously leaving space at the we, edge, but we couldn't get we, that ball. We, we, well, number one, we couldn't get the ball out. And number two, there was nowhere then we didn't have the players to reload and reset the system to go for the next phase or the phase after that. And I think for for Ireland, I'm thinking of something like the, like even the Heine, uh, the Champions Cup final, where you had a, I think Ireland, or sorry, with a normal refereeing that happens, you can see the benefit goes to the attacking team. And Leinster and Ireland are completely illegal at the breakdown. They come in oh, from all the, angles. For the most part, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right. Coming in, coming in from all angles, hitting knees, going anywhere they want, right? We've all seen it. We all know what it is. But if it's refereed that the defensive team are given a sort of a lax view on that, Ireland can't cope because Ireland are still only putting the one or two players in. And if they have to throw those extra players in, like you said, against the sort of the, the monster sharks game, then it becomes the issue with reloading, with getting those pods set, getting that sort of screen in front of Sexton that he needs um, to do it. You don't have the players to fill that in. The ball becomes slow. It becomes predictable. And the defense has time to read and shoot up. And that's where Ireland can get into a lot of trouble. Yeah. And I think as well that if you're looking at the way that Ireland play, like Ireland have a, always a very, very high pass per carry ratio. Always. When Ireland are playing very well now. They didn't against Samoa, but the weather played a part in that also. Um, that's because a lot of what Ireland do, like th- their scheme is short passes. So you, you very rarely see Ireland like, okay, look, sometimes they will sling a long pass out to the edge or whatever else. That, that happens the odd time. But most of the passing that Ireland does is short because there's always numbers there. As you just said there, if there's a, a, a heavy counter-ruck presence at that breakdown where Ireland have to commit those numbers. Everything compresses. Your attacking line will compress because you can't spread out if you're lacking numbers. So you compress because you, you need to secure the next ball. That then creates a knock-on effect. And I think it'll actually put more pressure on Ireland's playmaking. Um, in the, in the, certainly in the World Cup, like if you're looking at the Springboks game, which is the first one coming up, and it's the, I suppose, the the decider, although we will get to see what the Springboks are like against Scotland in the opening game of the tournament in, in this pool, which 
I was asked today on the, the Discord, would you prefer to play the Springboks first, as in the very first game of the tournament, notwithstanding Sexton's injury, or not injury, ban for being a fucking idiot. Um, so if, like, would you, if you had a full complement of your players, you know, with an actual wear and tear or whatever else, would you prefer to play the Springboks first to get it out of the way? I don't think so. I think I prefer, I think Ireland have a, a very nice fixture list. I think they've got Romania, which is a warm-up. I think then you step it up a level with Tonga. You've got South Africa, then which is a look the biggest game of the pool. But then you've got a two-week break. So you can recuperate. You can rest then before the Scotland game to see it out. And I think that break gives it that sort of thing. I don't necessarily see the benefit of hitting um South Africa first. Maybe look the benefit maybe is that when you're you're playing South Africa first, you're hoping that they haven't quite got to their their level of cohesion because we, look, we've talked about cohesion beforehand. For Ireland, it's lifting the players from the provinces and filling in a couple of holes. For South Africa, this is their first chance in terms of they've been building towards this, so you would expect that they get more cohesive as the the tournament goes on. So maybe there's something there, but I think for Ireland, I I prefer to have that build up themselves and get the game time in. I suppose if you're Ireland. How do you beat the Springboks? What's your what's your approach if you're Andy Farrer for that game, other than what we already know? Well, I I think look, it's to me it's it's quite simple. You you have to rely on your on your kicking game. And that kicking game has to move the forwards around. You've got to move the Franz Malherbes, you've got to move the big type five around, and you've got to get them running. And not just up and down the pitch, it's got to be lateral. And I think that's that's the big one because if you can get them moving laterally to, as we talked about, Peter Romani on the outside edge, securing those rocks, you're cut, you're bouncing back the opposite side. You get them moving like that, you create holds. Now, do do South Africa go probably six two or something like that and replace a lot of their type five to get away with that? Yeah, they do. But I still think that's that's the way to do it. You want a high um, ball and play. You want quick rock speed. And that you can set up your your positions, you get that. I think then you you put you Ireland will put the right players in the right positions. You'll you'll find the likes of a Dan Sheehan out wide. Yeah, you know. And, and I suppose and the ability if, to score. But if if you're if you're Farrell, um, I suppose the selection is going to be the same. There's going to be no horses for courses for this. It's going to be the team that everybody knows. Um, I went back and I watched. Ireland versus Springboks in November of last year. Um, Springboks were actually better than that game than I remember. They just made a ton of mistakes. Um, and they had no goal kicker, <laughs> which was a, a bit of a problem for them on the day. Well, they, they still don't. They still don't. <laughs> <laughs> the big worry, again, I think for me, is that Ireland's natural counter-transition game has been so successful. But the one kryptonite we've seen to it is that when teams do not give us the ball back at the same rate that we give it to them, that creates problems, especially when that team are bigger than us and heavier than us. Because what counter transition is really good at is basically turning the game into, it uses the full width of the field, up, north, south, east and west. And... It, it, it drags fellas out of position. It makes sure you're always engaging with them on your terms. So like you look at how important footwork is to, to the likes of the Irish back five, who, by the way, 
I did a bit of research on this for my Wally Raiden's race. <laughs> I went and I looked. <laughs> How many of the Irish back five do you think are over 120 kg? Back five of the pack? Yeah. Um, none. None of them. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm just thinking... And that's because I remember looking, and the only reason I know about stuff like this is I remember looking at this for um, James Ryan, even as James Ryan as part of the what you call it, the Lions mm-hmm. tour, and it was one of the reasons he is not a tight head lock. Yeah, they've actually I think I think they've actually stopped trying to make him that. He scrummages on the, on the tight head side, but he is not getting over one twenty. He's currently listed no. at one hundred seventeen kg. And the heaviest, by the way, is Joe McCarthy at one hundred nineteen kg. Yeah, and look, but even then, I have a feeling that there could be a few uh, few toes in the scale there as well. <laughs> he's not doing the Trevor Leota thing of leaning the shoulders against the side of the wall. He's, he's doing, doing, the, doing the opposite. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but, putting like, a few lead weights into the shorts as like, they get on. That that plays into Ireland's style. Like you spoke about it there earlier. We need those guys to cover a lot of ground. So obviously they're they're lighter, they're more athletic. Like Tyg Byrne is one hundred and thirteen kg. That's a back row. There's a second row. It's a pretty much a back row. You look at uh, Ryan Baird is 113 kg. I think uh, Ian Henderson is 115. But like I know these are, you know, weights or they don't, they don't tell the whole story. But if you look at the Springboks back five, you're seeing a ton of size. Like Sean Klain is over 120. RG is over 120. I know he's listed as being under it, but he is over it. I know, for, I know that for a fact. Even Etzebeth is 120 Look at him. He's not under one. Like he is one twenty for sure. Dwayne has got to be close to it. I'd say. Yeah, Dwayne is close enough. He's up there. He's. I think he's one seventeen as well. But like, well, like he, he's 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 a good dinner away from it. I'd say he's a good dinner. That's the thing. Like, but if you look at that, like, I won't go into listing all these different sizes, but they also tell a story about what the Springboks want to do. That they want the game to be played in a shorter space. They don't want to be running up and down the field. They want to play that game short. When they do kick and they do kick, they don't want their forwards jogging 30 metres up the field doing nothing. They want to move them 20 metres up the field at a time, 25 metres, plant them down, bang, we're going to defend you now. Or if he turns over, we're going to fucking run through you. Or we're going to we're going to maul you, we're going to scrum you off the field. Like, they are playing more on ball now. They're midfield, I think certainly. I think their midfield looks better at the moment with uh, Esther Hazen than it does Dielende. Um, Creel Creel has stepped up defensively, I think, for them as well. So has, I think that, that's a that's a decent pairing there. Like with that, like if you're Ireland, you want them basically restarting every phase that they have well behind their ten meter line. Make them defend, and then you're looking for breakdown turnovers because that's the one com- that's the one combat. If you're a counter transition team to a team who wants to hang on to the ball, breakdown turnovers. That's why Caelan Doris is so important. That's why he played against Samoa. That's why Ty Byrne is so important. That's why he played against Samoa. And that's why Peter Manny is so important and why he will start against South Africa if he's fit and why he was on the bench against Samoa. People were wondering, like, why are these guys on the bench? Like, why are these guys starting? It's a warm-up because they understood that Samoa kick on average of, what is it, 19 times per game? So I know it was wet and they did kick quite a bit because of the weather and because I think they had ID'd something with Ireland. But in general... They don't kick a whole lot. So Andy Farrell, who did he select? His three best poachers, even though it was a you know a dud warm-up game. Like because Ireland would have learned what they learned out against England. This was just basically an injury risk game. 
So he put his yeah. three best back five jackals either starting or on the bench because he knew that if they hang on to the ball as, as planned, because if the weather was decent, I think we would have seen a different game. We would have seen less kicking from Samoa. Uh, this would have gone after the same spaces, but not with the same volume. You need guys who can win the ball back for you. That's not Josh van der Fleer, by the way. He's not a jackal, but Caelan Doris is. So is Ty Byrne, and so is Peter Romani. And I think that's going to be the big difference maker for Ireland if they can get those three guys into the game defensively. And I, I think if you, if you look at, and we've talked about the the sort of the comparison of Ireland and Leinster, if you look at something like the Champions Cup final where Leinster were there, if you added, and I would add Bundiaki to this, who I think is a very good jackler. He really is very good. 12. If you have Bundy at 12, you have Omani and you have uh, Ty Byrne, that changes how Leinster could, tra- could mm-hmm. attack a team who consistently hold on to the ball on the ball team but they didn't have that Ireland have a, a sort of a have the bits added to it yeah. that will allow them to cope against that a bit better but I think that's what um, both Scotland to a degree and the Springboks will try and do is they will try and stay on ball a bit more the yeah, Springboks both, certainly but Scotland um, do that too also like they, they have a lower way lower kick per game uh, average kick per game uh, this year so they will hang on to the ball also. But I think with I think with Scotland, they play with a much lighter back five mm. um, and a much lighter midfield. The worry there would be is that they're able to retain the ball better because they've got better coverage at their breakdown. Whereas the Springbok can be a bit heavy and they can get a bit overextended. Um, and sometimes there can be breakdown penalties to be won on the edges if they get out of their radius of their pack, if they overchase with Scotland they're more than capable of retaining all those. So if they can space the field, like the Finn Russell, like of um, Blair Kinghorn, I think as well, and that, you know, uh, Hugh Jones and, and uh, Sione Tuipalato in that midfield, they have yeah, I think- power that can hurt us in theory. They haven't yet. They've, but the thing is, people forget, Scotland have come close to beating Ireland a few times. They just haven't in the last four years. I think the difference between how Ireland need to approach the Springboks and Scotland, it's it's almost it's almost like night and day. Because what Ireland want to do against Scotland is you want to dominate up front. Yeah. You want that platform and then you start to play. Yeah. You, you crush them and then you start spreading it around. Whereas against the Springboks, you actually want to start spreading it around first. Yeah. Whereas against Scotland, I think when Ireland were able to keep it tight, even in the game just gone this year, we we had, we had to keep it tight. That kind of suited what Ireland brought. Yeah. Now I know Scotland have a, have a lot of good breakdown defenders as well, and I think they've kind of moved away from Hamish Watson. I think they've they've needed that extra size. I think in their mm. back row. Um, yeah, th- like that's going to be a very interesting game as well. Just because I think Scotland's scrum is a little bit underrated too, so I think they may also look to try and generate a fair few against us. Um, but I think Ireland. Yeah. I, I think, like you said there we have the firepower to bully them physically that we might not do against the Springboks. And with two weeks to recover, you would hope there's going to be guys who are going to come out of that game. You're going to get bumps and bruises watching that game against the Springboks. Mm-hmm. Never mind playing in it. So if they can get the majority of their team back on there, because against Scotland would be fucking refreshed. <laughs> like everyone's going to pick up a few injuries, but they, they play the Springboks. And then they've got two, well, the, yeah, not two. Well, the Romania game, yeah, Romania, easy enough. Tonga, like they've got two fairly handy games. They should win. 
and then they've got Ireland, which could end up being basically a knockout game, essentially. And that's it. The that's only thing, the thing I'd fear about Scotland for themselves from the Scottish point of view is Scotland have some high quality players in there that are capable of unbelievable brilliance. Particularly in the back line, you look at as you said, Finn Russell, got Hugh Jones, you've got um Darcy Graham, these sort of guys. I don't know if they can sustain that level of performance over a full 80 minutes. You've got the erratic nature of, of Finn Russell. Russell. Well, where when he's on, he's on. But I think we've seen as well that when the when when possession is expensive, I think sometimes Finn Russell can be a little bit loose with the credit card, if you know what I mean. Yeah, you need you need to put a what you got you need to give him a revolute with a limit on it. <laughs> <laughs> Don't tell him how to top up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, that's brilliant. Thank you very much, Owen. Uh, really good podcast. Um, if you want to come back and, and uh, have a look at uh, the other parts in this uh, Most Wanted series, you can check it out on Patreon. Uh, and I will be getting Owen back on for other podcasts as we get closer to this World Cup. So thank you very much for joining me, Owen. Thanks, Tom. Talk and I'll talk, I'll talk to you again very, very soon. Because I'm a cowboy On a steel